welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 279 for October 19th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about crook cane handle designs, diffusing shop vac host static electricity, and resawing with table saw and bandsaw. It's weirdly written. None of that was written to, to speak well. Mm. I think that was on purpose because we actually relish listening to you try to go through this <laughs> stuff. You know, what you don't know is that actually when people write in their names, mm-hmm. Shannon and I secretly go in and just like mix all the consonants. We around. add cues. Add a couple extra vowels here and there. Yeah, just we throw like accents and things like that. Well, it's yeah. working, guys. Good job. Here and there. Yes, yeah. nicely done. Uh, so yeah, those things we're going to be talking about and a bunch more stuff. But first, we'd like to thank someone special. That Don't. person's name is sounds like Shannon just fell over. <laughs> right? You all right there, buddy? <laughs> My pop filter popped the mic. <laughs> okay, just making sure you didn't collapse. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the doors just collapsed on him. He knew he shouldn't have gone for the insulation. They're so much heavier. That's right. That's what happens when you uh, you don't pay them well enough. He didn't tip them, so they didn't put in those last few bolts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we'd uh, like to thank a very special person, John Welton, who helped us out with a cash donation. You know, let's uh, let's call a spade a spade here. He sent us some money. Uh, we appreciate that, John. Thank you very much. And you can, too. Just go to woodtalkshow.com. Uh, look over in the side column. You'll see donation links for one-time or recurring donations. Every little bit helps out, and we appreciate the support. Uh, while you're there at the website, go to the giveaway page, or you just go to woodtalkshow.com giveaway, and get in the running to earn yourself a free T-shirt, a free Wood Talk T-shirt. And uh, that's good stuff. Uh, I have one, and I think oh, I, I set one to one. each of you. Yes, so we each have have one one and uh, we wear it once a year (laughs) actually probably not even this year because we skipped WIA but you could wear yours every day if you wanted to I often wonder if I go to the gay pride parade around here if it would have a completely different meaning it might you'd probably make more friends I probably would and (laughs) I need more friends at that because well everybody loves me anyways but that's a whole other story there you go good stuff All right. well let's move into what's on the bench this is what uh, we've been doing in our shops over the last week for me, I've been cutting some bridle joints. So I've got these big uh, four-inch wide pieces that are going to make up a top frame for the gaming table. And instead of just doing, you know, mortise and tenon joints or uh, miter joints, which, to be honest, a little bit of a cop out there, I was thinking about the miter joints, and then I realized how fun it would be to put uh, miters on eight-quarter stock with a frame that's as big as a dining room tabletop. It just wouldn't be a good time in, in uh, stock that thick. So I said, you know what? Let me do something different and let's go and, and tap. I almost want to say green and green, but it's uh, it, there's a little influence uh, coming in from that because it's a bridle joint where the actual pieces are extending just a little bit. So you cut the you cut the joints just a little bit deeper, about an eighth of an inch. So you get that proud overhang and I'll soften and sort of pillow the exposed section. So there's really nothing to, to get, you know, caught on or clothing to get caught on. Um, but it's just going to have this very cool textured visual effect uh, that I think will be really, really nice uh, and, and super strong, right? I mean, a bridle joint is, is I had a couple people on Facebook say, are you going to have to pin that or do anything else with a dowel joint there? You don't really have to do anything. You know, there, there's so much face glue uh, on that thing that you just put a, a bunch of glue on there, clamp, uh, sandwich it together, and it is going nowhere. <laughs> that is going to be very stable. I think it's one of my favorite joints. It doesn't get very much play. You no. know, it's basically a mortise and tenon, right? Yep. But yeah. It's actually easier because yeah. the mortise part is open. It's actually, you know, a couple cuts and 
uh, you, you can chisel it out or drill it out or whatever yep. at the, the root of that. Um, I was cutting a bunch of them this weekend, too. Oh, look at that. Crazy wow. coincidence. Weird. Mm. Yeah, I so- didn't get the memo about that one because I was thinking of bridal joints. But then I said, who does those? I'm sure you didn't even go <laughs> in your shop. Those? That's well, you can you can play with them too and make mitered bridal joints and mm. like combine joints and things. Sounds nice. good. But the, these have, being so wide at, at four inches, I had to opt for the bandsaw method uh, mm-hmm. just to kind of you know, table saw. You can't really get that capacity yet. It's actually four and an eighth, so that would be a little bit too much to ask of the table saw. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, that would definitely be a little nerve wracking on the backside. Yeah, but they uh, turned out pretty well so far. I've got the had to sharpen up the mortising chisels, and I've got a little bit more chiseling to do, but uh, not too bad. So uh, it's coming along, moving right along, gentlemen. Very well, you cool. know, in, in the notes for today's episode, I saw that coming up, and I first read it as uh, Big Bird Joints, and I'm <laughs> yes. like, oh, we must be building something for Mateo. That's yeah. really cool. He's such a good dad. Yeah, he's you know he's not a fan of Big Bird. He's more of an Elmo guy at this point. Who really was a fan of Big Bird? I, I, <laughs> you know, I'm a fan. I was just like he's way too tall. In the beginning, if you go back and watch the earliest, earliest Sesame Street stuff, Crackhead Big Bird is definitely more interesting. <laughs> it, like he changed. I don't know how many years. It, it, like, but they realize this bird looks like he's been, you know, he's been around for a while. So, right. So Crackhead Big Bird is much more interesting than the current Big Bird that we know and love. So, I bet you it was probably like in the 80s when the whole Reagan thing with just say no to say drugs, no drugs happened. And they're like, say no to Crackhead Big Bird. <laughs> yeah, we should definitely definitely clean this bird up a little bit. Uh, Shannon, what about you? What's going on? Uh, well, as I said, I was doing some bridal joints myself. Um, <clears throat> still plugging away on my uh, blanket chest. Um, but I actually drew a little inspiration from Mr. Vanderlist this weekend because he uh, oh, you're welcome. was doing some shop cleanup or something. And you guys remember I got a, a new door in the garage and mm-hmm. I had to move like everything out of the way for the installers to do their thing. Well, I have one of those like rubber thresholds that's glued to the concrete that prevents water from coming underneath the the, the door. Sure. Um, because they're, I mean, the house is, is built in the sixties. Things have settled a little. So right by the door, there's a little bit of slope back towards the house. And if we get a really big rainstorm, a lot of times I can get, um, a little bit of water puddling kind of right at the edge of the driveway, the joint between the threshold and the driveway itself. So I put in that little thing that was enough to keep the water out. Well, they had to move it because the garage door was in a different spot. So they reinstalled the threshold over top of the cheap peel and stick vinyl flooring I have in my shop on the <laughs> concrete floor. Okay. So all the water that gets trapped actually was able, it was no longer being trapped because it was just going underneath the vinyl flooring. Ugh. So when you know it, the same day the door was installed, we had like a cloud burst, like one of those crazy thunderstorms where it rains sideways for about an hour. Uh, got a couple inches of rain in an hour. Well, I walked down into the shop and it was like squish, squish, squish oh, no. as oh, I'm man. walking on the vinyl flooring. Fortunately, it was only about maybe four courses deep. And again, it's cheap peel and stick, like 30 cents a tile type thing um, that I've been thinking about getting rid of anyway. So needless to say, I had to peel all that up, which the fact that I didn't even have to use a tool to do that was kind of a red flag. <laughs> um, so I had to let all that dry out and basically I had to move even more stuff out of the way and let it dry and do some sweeping. And, but it, it got me to the point where, you know, my, my simple move stuff back into where it was before was turning into more of an involved kind of cleanup project. And I, it was a good catalyst for me to actually do some other things, um, make some kind of really simple shop improvements, like 
stick a screw in the wall here to hang a broom on nice. and just really silly things, but things you don't think about until you've actually worked in the shop for a while. Yep. Um, like I put a, I hung a, a just drove a, a screw into the wall specifically to hang my shop, uh, like hand broom and dustpan on. Cause mm-hmm. I keep like bending over and, you know, bending over all the way over and picking it up off the floor. But you know, the dustpan will fall over and it gets kind of pushed under the bench. So I hung it on the wall. I put a, uh, made a new strop and hung it on a different spot on the wall and uh, re-tightened up a couple of, um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, switch boxes, light switch boxes mm-hmm. that had become loose because they weren't actually, they were just screwed into drywall with no stud behind it. Oh, nice. I didn't do that work. Nice work. That's how I like to hang most <laughs> of my shelves in the house because then, you know, I know they're going to stay there and it gives me work later on down the road. <laughs> yeah. I finally got around to hanging the, the, the TV back up, which I'd forgotten how much I missed having that on in the background. So it was just kind of stuff that I've been putting off and putting off because it just really wasn't that important. But once you kind of get in that mode, you're like, oh, well, now I'm going to put this over here and put this over here. And you start kind of moving <laughs> things around and because you've learned this is in the way or this is too far away or whatever. You know, I don't it's, know. it's interesting because I've noticed this too. It's really a mindset that you have to get in. Like once, yeah. especially yes. with, with my shop, for instance, brand new space. And I was super motivated to do all that type of work, but then I had to get stuff done that wasn't shop related. So then I got into this work mode and forgot about it. And once in a while, if my schedule's really clear, I could go in there and look around and get my brain. Like I usually have to pull out like a fine woodworking tools and shops edition or something <laughs> to get my brain into the thought of organization. Cause right now I go in there and I'm not, I don't even think about it. And I like you talk about as something as simple as a screw in the wall for a broom. Yeah. And I'm like, boy, it would be really convenient if I could have my uh, paint can openers over here or if I could have the, a couple rolls of tape right here. These are such simple things that we could do to organize the shops. But if your mind isn't there because you're maybe just focused on project after project, you forget about all those things. And it really is a matter of getting your brain back into that shop improvement mindset to be able to think of these things. Well, you yeah, know, but one, I, one, I think it's important to, you know, to build stuff because you never know what you need. You know, you don't know that that, you know, hand broom is not anywhere near where you would actually use it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you don't know that you need to move it over. And um, yeah, I put a bunch of uh, screws into my joiner bench to hang like my fret saw on because that's where I do all the fret sawing. <laughs> right. It's like, why, why is it hanging on the wall over there? It makes no sense. Yep. So. Well, the problem I always run into because I do the same exact thing is uh, but then I suddenly talk myself out of it a little bit like that's just too simple. You know, the problem is I really want it to look really nice and I, right. I'm going to make that a project. So yeah. I'm going to write that down. I'll put it someplace. I'll file that away. And then I never actually do it. But then when, in <laughs> fact, I do take that step and I just go, you know what, man, I'm just going to put a screw in here. So I've got some place to go. I'll come back later on and go, that was the greatest investment of my time right there. That Seriously. I don't yeah, need just something one else on there. Yep. It's like the stupidest thing. Literally, you drove a screw into the wall and it was like such an amazing, efficient, like helper. Yeah, right. I've got a I've got a roll of paper towels sitting on my sharpening bench that I keep thinking, you know, I should just build like a, a paper towel roll. I mean, like shop project 101, you know, go and build a paper towel holder to hang on the wall. And I just keep now. Oh, I want to make it fancy, you know. You should have a molded edge on it or something, and I so it doesn't do it. So now there's this roll of paper towels just sitting on the bench top. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know what I did? I went to Walmart and I bought like a three dollar paper towel roll thing and screwed it to the underside of the cabinet. I was like, "Yep, that works. <laughs> it's yeah, done I now." Can't bring myself to do that. Do it. Go to a flea market. You could probably get one for practically for free. I'll just go to my grandmother's house and take her. She doesn't need it anymore. She'll never notice. 
Yeah, exactly. All right. You know what grandmothers are for? Yes. Something like are. that. All right, Matt. Anyway. You're up. What about you, Matt? What's going well, on? Act, uh, pretty much like what you just described, Shannon. That's exactly what I was kind of doing. I went into the shop, and it's one of those, I know I can't really start a project right now, but I just needed to be in that environment. Otherwise, I would just be sitting on the couch uh, staring at, I don't know, watching you guys' uh, old videos or something, or nice. actually more like Netflix. Thanks for the patronage. Uh, Hey, no problem at all. I'm glad to do what I can. Um, I'm planning on making a donation someday. Uh, just go ahead and okay. send me what I'm going to get, and then I'll, I'll send it to you later. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's I got in there, and I kind of did the same thing. I started cleaning things. I'm trying to think of where to put things. And it's funny because my shop's not that big, but I actually had this moment. And it helped me, as ridiculous as this sound. I'm like, all right, I'm just going gonna, gonna to clean the front part of the shop. And then maybe tomorrow I'll come back and I'll clean the back part of the shop, you know, and then going that way, like back and forth between the two of them. So I did get things taken care of. I actually, as funny as this sounds, I found some tools, some big tools, and I'm like, you know what? I just don't want to wrestle with these things anymore. I don't use them. Mm -hmm. So why in the world do I have them? So for those in my area, there's a good chance that if you check Craigslist, there will probably be some tools that would be coming from me. On there, I would post it elsewhere, but uh, you get some—I don't know—some some interesting back and forth. And I, I, I'm not going to get into that. I don't want people thinking I don't want to talk to them. I just don't want to talk to them. Tell the truth, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm afraid of some. You of You're just antisocial. I, just, I am antisocial. That's why this job's <laughs> so, killing. So you don't want to deal with people. So you're going to list it on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that kind of funny? Like, <laughs> you might want to rethink that. Meet them in a know. parking lot. Do yourself a favor. Some of the people that I've actually met from previous tools that I sold on Craigslist, I'm like, oh, my Lord, what was I thinking? <laughs> is, is there still that guy that has, like, the tractor trailer that pulls up in the corner of the parking lot and sells tools? Why don't you just go and, like, do a consignment thing with him? Amazingly, they've been run off by the cops too many times. So I don't think I can do that anymore. But, yeah, so we'll have to see what's going on with that. But amongst my cleaning, I actually found a really old Wood Whisper sticker, the one with the X marks on it where apparently it looks like, Deadmark, the oh, Dead Whisperer, the, the, the original. That's that's way back, dude. That's two thousand six, two thousand seven ish. I had, got it, one of those on my finishing cabinet. Well, it, it even it's has classic. the backing on it. It hasn't been used at all. Ooh, so, mint yeah. in box. Look for <laughs> that on Craigslist. Also, <laughs> nice. I have one of those T-shirts too. Those oh, T-shirts. Festo logo on the sleeve too. Oh man, that was our worst like series of T-shirts ever. And I apologize to anyone who bought one of those. Uh, man, that logo was massive. Like it was. you, you got to learn. It's a, like anything else. You learn taste as you go <laughs> along when you're new to designing things like that. But that logo was just way too big proportionally for the shirt. You know what it reminds me of is you ever see like around this time of year because of all the pumpkins and everything, you'll see like the people wearing like those big orange shirts with the jack-o'-lantern, like yeah. the whole belly <laughs> is a jack-o'-lantern. That's what I, I picture with that one. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Uh, but yeah, we've learned a lot since then. I think our shirts are a little bit more tame at this point. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's move into what's new. Uh, I got one here from uh, Ben. I decided to read this one since he's talking about me. He says, I just watched Mark's video on Ebony Plug several years ago, but just needed it again as reference. And don't get me wrong. Everything about it works just fine, but it's a little bit time consuming. Hey, who said perfection was easy? But on suggested video lists for his video, I found this guy. I know you would uh, be limited with this technique from the size and square only. Um, he's talking about not being able to do long rectangular ebony plugs, uh, but figured I would share. Now, this video actually happened to know uh, this guy. I'm doing air quotes. This guy. <laughs> uh, I followed this link and I'm like, why does he look so familiar? That guy looks familiar. He even, wow. His name sounds familiar. 
yeah, so it's William Ng. William Ng is a um, awesome woodworker and instructor and owns the William Ng School in Anaheim, California, where I've actually taught and taken classes a number of times. So um, interestingly enough, the method shown in this video after taking enough classes with William is the method that I do myself. Uh, it's a much easier method that just involves chucking up the ebony into a drill and then having your sandpapers of various grits laid out in front of you. So Ben, if you've ever seen anything that I've done with ebony plugs after that one video, you'll see me doing William's method. I was going to say, I feel like I've seen you do that. I have, yes. I learned my lesson very quickly. When you see something better, you just, you know, there's no reason to do the old way. Uh, and it works really well. Um, you know, the, the, it's still time consuming. You know, these green and green projects just have so many different size ebony plugs if you're doing the ones that are sort of more, more faithful to the original designs. So many different sizes and they're just all over the place. So it takes a long time to get all those little buggers cut. But this method is probably one of the fastest you, you could possibly do and works pretty well. So yeah, we'll, we'll put the link or maybe even embed the, the video into the show notes for that one. Sweet. Well, hey, we have a, another link here which goes out to the Highland Woodworker. They have their 20th episode up, and it's full of great stuff, all pretty much dedicated to the Studley Tool Chest. So Ooh. if you guys remember earlier this year during – Speaking Can- of Ebony. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty close to uh, – what this was around the same time as Handworks was going on. Okay. Uh, so they weren't they weren't together, but they were very close to each other. Uh, so those of you who were in uh, Amana, Iowa, and you had a chance to uh, go check all that stuff out, this is where uh, uh, Chuck and the guys got together with, I think it was Christopher Schwarz and Don Williams and Narayan Nayer to uh, talk about the Studley Tools. I have yet to watch this episode. I'm saving it for one of my long flights when I'm like, I just need some woodworking happiness. I'll be honest, I'm saving it for my next number two. Oh, well, well, in that case, that's very similar to a flight I recently had. Yeah. You know, I'm, I guess it's just the fact that so many people are producing content on like a weekly basis now that when I see number 20, I'm like, is that it? They've only, <laughs> like, it feels like the show's been around forever now yep. and they're only on episode 20. And it's because they do what, like a quarterly release yeah. of the show, is it? Yeah. It's three or four a year. Yeah. So with only three or four a year, you obviously you can't rack up the numbers, but uh, maybe we should do that with Wood Talk. Well, you know, there was a time when we did do that with Wood Talk. Practically. I think it was the pre-Shannon. We're like, uh, yeah, the first welcome two years. to episode 20. We've now been recording for five years. <laughs> yeah. We're thinking about getting a regular uh, schedule going. Moving along a little slowly here. Well, we're making up for, for lost time the, the last year or so with our weekend shows, which, by the way, I guess I should mention that, uh, at least acknowledge it. You probably noticed we haven't been doing a weekend show for the past couple of weeks, and that's simply because of a lack of time. Uh, baby stuff on my end, job stuff on uh, Matt and Shannon's ends. Uh, so we will. So wait a minute, we're not doing it. Oh. So I just keep showing up. Man, yeah, you just need you to think hit you record. Guys would have told me. Yeah, send me the file when you're done, Shannon, and uh, we'll publish that. Uh, so you know, we'll do what we can to get that the weekend show back. Uh, give us some feedback on it too. If you maybe you didn't like the weekend show, maybe we'll just not try to do it ever again. <laughs> if it was bad, <laughs> uh, you know, let us know what you think. Okay, take a hand. Well, you know, uh, yes, it? just recently the Wood you Whisperer know? turned nine. Oh, he's still yeah, young. He's it's so your, young. what is it? That's the leather anniversary. Is it? Um, I tried to figure out what the material. Well, hold on. Traditional is the willow anniversary, but willow. the modern one is leather. So, oh, so it's the mistress mm. anniversary. So some, some, exactly. Hey, some, willow, some willow switches and some leather chaps. Nice. Oh, that sounds good. I think we should make a whole new thing for anniversaries for woodworkers. And it'll just be different species of wood as you work your way up the years. Or maybe like certain tools. This is the the Japanese chisel 
anniversary. <laughs> I like that. Nice. All right. Well, let's jump into our kickback. A couple questions came in when I talked about the Bosch miter saw last week. A lot of folks were happy to hear that I, I didn't just disparage it right off the bat. Um, you know, uh, surprise, surprise. I'm actually fair when I talk about tools. Um, so they were asking what actually happened with Festool because I started it by saying I'm not going to go into detail on it. And I will still not go into detail on it. But the forum uh, over at Wood Talk Online, someone had asked a question. They were kind of speculating and it was all this the comments going back and forth, I'm like, guys, it's just not that interesting of a story. It's like behind the scenes business decisions uh, that led to it happening. So I did explain it and gave all the information. If you're really that interested, and I promise you, it's just not that there's no drama. You know, it's not that interesting, but I'll give you all the information. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the thread. It's in the middle of a longer thread and you'll just have to scroll down and actually find my response. It's a couple of paragraphs explaining exactly what happened and that we're still friends. <laughs> we're still friends and I'm still keeping some of the most notable festival stuff in my shop, but most of it is going. And I think the show is going to benefit greatly from that change. And you can get that full explanation there. You know, it is quite boring. In fact, Mark sent me the link originally, <laughs> and then he had to keep uh, texting me afterwards to wake me up. Wake up, like, wake up. <laughs> have you read it? I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm two more sentences into it. I'm almost, <laughs> Can't get I'm almost a quarter it. of the way in. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Shane. Yeah. Uh, yeah, make sure you uh, send me the link to that, Mark. Okay. Yeah, so I can get to sleep tonight. All right, this is, uh, what was it? Cut. I don't remember if it was last episode or two episodes ago. Um, apparently, I said something about... You did. Plastic cutting boards and wood cutting boards. I heard it. Um, we yeah. started getting kickback, and I had no idea what these people were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Must, so I had to re-listen to the episode to hear. There was a point when I said, we have a plastic cutting board because my wife doesn't like to cut um, like poultry and meat and things mm -hmm. on a wood cutting board. Well, this just set off a slew of emails with uh, links to scientific journals and things like that saying that it's actually better to cut meat on a wood cutting board and vegetables on a plastic cutting board. But then you get another journal entry that says basically, meh, <laughs> either way is bad. And then some saying, no, it's not. I, I don't think that there's any definitive evidence that says it's necessarily better to cut poultry or meat on plastic or wood uh, you know it seems to me anything that has a bunch of grooves where nasty stuff can get uh caught in it is bad so i guess yeah. the long and short of it is clean your cutting boards um, yeah but I, I appreciate everybody who chimed in and sent um very scientific type posts saying uh what are you an idiot don't use plastic so there we go a lot of people did sort you, of did think you really that the, appreciate those because usually when i get them i go uh-huh and then I file more. <laughs> you go next. Well, and and the, the key is, is this is not my decision. This is something that like my wife grew up with. So, you know, if you guys want to try to explain it to her, knock yourself out. I think most people do think, yeah, ask the average family cook if they cut raw meat on their wooden cutting boards. If they have a wooden cutting board, uh, they probably say no because they want to take their plastic, put it in the dishwasher and clean it. Um, but I think this, these articles are good. It's it's interesting to read them and to to get that perspective. But it's going to be hard to hammer that out of the average person's you know thought process that it's better to cut on wood than plastic. Um, yeah. here, well, here's a I mean, my wooden cutting board is a very decorative like 
put it out for guests to serve cheese and crackers on. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, and I'm wood is vegetables and meat on it. Right. Wood is organic also. And so that's important in today's uh, uh, world too. Is so it's, true. it's organic. Uh, my, here's my favorite part of this one article. Cause here's the thing. Not all these articles sound, and this is coming from a person with a science background, sound as legitimate as I would think they would. And listen to this part. Although some established scientific laboratories uh, say their results differ from ours. We have dis- we have received multiple communications from school children who have done <laughs> science projects that have reached essentially the same conclusions that we did. So I've never heard of a, like an organization or like an official again like <laughs> a serious the District Twelve Science a, Fair, a yeah. serious lab. <laughs> Like saying, well, look, the kids got the same results as us, so there you go. Yeah, I can think of last year he made a volcano, so (laughs) he's talking about. I I can think of at least two or three uh, cable news networks that probably get their uh, news from the same (laughs) uh, or you know group of people, probably actually out of the locker room more too. I kid, I kid, but I think that's a funny thing to put into your paper summary. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to point out the moronics. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I still think, you know, you keep your boards clean, you'll be fine. And if they get all chewed up, time to get rid of them and resurface them, bottom line. That's right. All right. Last one here is from Jim. Jim came to the website and he said, why do I not see this? Only audio? <laughs> so I let Jim know that Wood Talk is a uh, audio podcast. It's a audio show. There is no video portion. I'm not sure how Jim ended up on Wood Talk, but uh, <laughs> hopefully he uh, was able to listen and, and got through it and is a new fan of the show. Although making fun of him probably screwed that up. <laughs> well, what's important is that Jim should also know that at one point we did discuss doing a video version of us. And then once we actually saw each other's videos and realized that nobody needs to see the three of us <laughs> in a single content kind of a thing, yeah. Yeah, that pretty much left it right there. Yep. We're also lazy. It, it is video. It's just There's one long dip to black effect. That's there all. you go. All right. Let's move into our email, boys. Uh, where's my? There it is. Jonathan says, for as long as I can remember, my dad has waxed philosophic about an old crocane he used to have. His birthday's coming up, and I figured I'd make him a new one. Based on instinct, I always just figured that the curve at the top was just bent. But after looking and looking, uh, the one resource I found has the stick maker cutting the handle out of what looks like six-quarter purple heart. And we've got a video that you can watch for this. He says, the video is really long, but I'm worried about 10 seconds of it. Around the 5 minute 50 second mark, he lays down a template that has the top of the curve, i.e. where you hold the stick, running cross grain. I'm wondering if that would offer enough support without breaking. My dad is in his mid-70s, and the last thing I need is a broken hip due to the cane that I made him breaking. Um, <laughs> so good, good to be concerned about that, no doubt about it. Uh, this is exactly what we were talking about before. See, he's an educated woodworker that saw a video and is questioning a technique. That's right. that's how it works online. Uh, so I think he has a legitimate concern. I, I, Jonathan, I agree with you. I, I, I would have expected that the top of that cane would have been bent, uh, probably steam bent or something to get the, the rough shape so that the grain follows that curve. And if you don't know what we're talking about, think of the old, you know, cartoons where they use the cane to pull the, the character off a stage or something like that. So it's got a really severe hook on it. And what this gentleman does in the video, uh, he actually cuts it out of a solid piece. So what you've got is the, the grain is vertical with the direction of the cane. So the very, very top where it crests and comes back down is a cross grain situation. So that's what he's surprised by. 
Now, first of all, the guy in the video is an experienced cane maker. Uh, I don't know anything about him other than what they say about him in the the summary. So I'm assuming he knows what he's doing, you know, and that that this is something that would withstand uh, the average person's body weight leaning on it. Um, So we'll take that, you know, you have to take it from the source that the, it clearly works for this dude. So that counts for something. He um, even talks <clears throat> about that, that shepherd's crook shape where it um, describes a 180 degree arc and then curves back on itself. Yeah. He describes the reason for that was that you could hang a lantern on the end. Like oh. you could stick the cane in the ground and hang a lantern. So in other words, bear weight out on the end of that cantilevered shape. Wow. Well, yeah, and I which, think I think the bottom line is the wood is probably stronger than you give it credit for because there's right. quite a bit of it in this shape. So there's there's a good amount of material there. Uh, if it were thinner, yeah, you'd start to really be concerned about it. But the more I thought about it, the more I, I looked at like how you would hold a cane. A lot of that pressure is in that forward section where it attaches to the the cane itself. So while you're holding it at the handle point, a lot of your body weight is kind of just going to be transferred right through that straight grain portion. So the only way I could really see it easily breaking is if someone were to put sideways pressure from the outside, you know, and Mm -hmm. just kind of crush, try to bring those two pieces together, that might snap it at the top. But when is a cane used that way? Uh, Other than when like Matt wants to hit his kids or something. Well, actually, I was thinking somebody should have had a cane, much like you described, to pull us out of that whole segment about the online woodworking world. That's what we needed, world. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right there. That, we, that's our cue. Yeah. Uh, so, so I don't really think it's going to be that big of a deal. Take take no. the advice of someone who clearly makes a lot of these things and it works for him. Um, I don't think it's going to be that bad. And plus, given the thickness of that handle, that's a lot of meat there that should be stronger than you think. And you know what? Make one. You know, make a sample, try it, put some weight on it, see if you can detect any major weaknesses in it. It's probably stronger than you think it is. Right. Yeah, because it seems like if you were worried about the part that's going to kind of hang out there a little bit, like them pressing down on it. I mean, the little bit of time that my mom was using one for, she had knee replacement surgery. And for the fun of it, I would take it and go, look, I'm being you. Ah!" And she couldn't hit me with it. But I noticed that like you you really do push down like you described on on the main part that's going all the way down to the ground. So, yeah, the, the, the amount of weight it seems like from what I was doing and I was just screwing around with it is, is minimal compared to what's actually being transmitted down the length of it. Right. Well, let me, um, one of the other mysteries I found is the grain direction in a hand plane handle. Um, essentially you're pushing and it it, it should be across the weak area, right? Shouldn't the grain run vertically Vertically. from the base of the handle to the top of the tote, but instead it runs 90 degrees. And yet, yes, you will find totes that have broken off, especially in old wooden hand planes, but you know, <laughs> I don't feel that it's anything that's going to snap on me when I'm using, you know, any of my Stanleys or even the modern ones. Yeah. Uh, if you look at it, the grain is, it's the same situation we're talking about. In fact, I think you're putting even more force on a hand plane that way. Well, and think about how much weight it truly is. You know, it's not right. like his, 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 his father. Yeah. It's not like his father's going to do a handstand on right, it. Exactly. So like a hundred percent of his weight is going to, even, even if he's leaning on it a lot, so much of his weight is on the ground and then he's just transferring a little bit of that weight to the cane, you know? So I don't, I just don't think the numbers are there to cause, yeah. cause it to break no. or to so, go through the so trouble. So make it for him and just include a note saying, don't do handstands with this. Yes. No handstands, dad, please. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Handstands at your own risk. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move into Ryan's question. Ryan says the other day 
I was running my planer and I noticed dust being drawn to the vacuum hose. I've heard Mark talk about static buildup before, but I've never seen, seen it do this in my shop. Uh, I completed planing my boards and went to empty the, my separator and bam, I got hit with a strong blast of electricity. Ouch. I'm using a shop vac, with, shop vac with an extended flex hose. Could you talk about ways of grounding either the shop vac or the hose so this doesn't happen again? I'm eventually going to purchase a good dust collector for now, but for later, but for now, it's the shop vac. So static electricity, I think this is a, a, a common fear that a lot of woodworkers have. And usually we associate it with the big dust collectors, but for certain, I know I've been poked more than once with my shop vac uh, when, I, when I didn't ground myself the right way. So I did a little looking, and of course, there is the usual suggestions of just simply maybe wrapping some bare copper wire around the length of the hose. Uh, this to me just seems kind of annoying because the last thing I want to do is yet have something else that's going to possibly get tangled around my hose. But if necessary, maybe that's a, a route you want to go. Uh, other suggestions I saw were actually even talking about taking like a small piece of chain and attaching it to oftentimes uh, the, the wheels may have like a little uh, metal bearing in there or something or just simply attaching it to the to the wheels and having that touch the ground, even just the bare cement, and that will sometimes help to eliminate some of that static electricity. But the bigger thing I got thinking, and actually I'm going to go ahead and grab another email because they're very, very similar. The Denver woodworker was talking about how he moved from Georgia. Oh, that's horrible. I'm assuming the Denver woodworker is a man. Uh, the Denver woodworker, man or woman, uh, moved from Georgia to Denver about a year ago, and they indicated that the one thing is that they they didn't get a lot of back in Georgia is static electricity in the shop. And basically the one thing they're pointing out is that the air is so much drier. So that got me to thinking that often is a huge issue in a wood shop. I mean with all that dust, think about your hands, how when you're working with the wood, you get really dried out and everything. So another option maybe to help eliminate some of this static electricity is to, I don't know, maybe put on a uh, something like a, a humidifier just to raise the humidity just a little bit up hmm. from arid desert to more like uh, natural or something. I don't know how else to describe it. Because oftentimes that is when I will notice the most static electricity that I ever run into in the shop. It's, it's not in the middle of the summer, even when I'm running the air conditioning. It is in the, uh, the height of winter when mm. my forced air furnace is just sucking all the moisture out, that is when I will get shocked like nobody's business. Hmm. I wonder if you could actually do it to, to the extent that it would make a difference. You know what? You know? I wonder if, yeah, or, or is it just introducing just enough yeah. You know, what is that tipping point? Is it is it just like a, a couple of degrees humidity, raising it up a little bit that way? Um, hmm. I, I don't know. One other option or two other options I'm going to suggest is there are actually anti-static hoses that you can get. Um, they're a little bit expensive. Typically, if you go on Amazon, you'll find them specifically for Festool or for Bosch. Uh, I did a, a quick search and I believe I found some. Uh, I'm not sure what company it is that these are coming from, uh, but I'll try to find a link for it. But there are anti-static vac hoses available for most uh, uh, shop vac manufacturers and will fit those supposedly. So that might be something else you'd want to consider. And then amusingly, I was talking with the guys about this ahead of time. We're all familiar with those crampons that you can attach to the bottom of your shoes, especially if you live in areas where you tend to get snow and ice. They make uh, these kind of slip over 
supports that you can put on your shoes that are specifically for grounding you uh, in, case, in case you either deal with a lot of static electricity or plan to be electrocuted at some point. Hmm. So those you are wear those neat. all the time just in case. Yeah, exactly. Especially when I really upset the family and suddenly I start noticing that all the uh, all the wires around me no longer <laughs> have insulation on them. <laughs> there you which go. Which may actually happen. Maybe. I'm getting those for you guys this Christmas. Okay, Don't read good. into it. Sorry, I'm distracted here. Shannon, go. What are you waiting <laughs> for? I'm about ready to talk and then Mark, uh, then Matt says something and I'm like, okay. What are you talking you about? Done? <laughs> nope. All right. So, out. That was a talk. Like I said, this is coming from Kelly. He says, what are your thoughts on resawing using a table saw and bandsaw combination? That is first sawing the rough stock on edge through a table saw with blade raised, then flipping the board and sawing down the opposite edge, completing the through cut on the bandsaw. I have a Delta Unisaw with a 5-horsepower motor and a Grizzly 14-inch bandsaw with a 3-horsepower motor. As a neophyte resawer, it seems that this method would obviate the problem of blade drift on the bandsaw. I'm not concerned with the difference in kerf size as boards will be further milled with a surface planer. Now, let me first by first say I'm assuming when he says first sawing the rough stock on edge to the table saw, the deal doesn't actually mean rough stock. Don't run rough sawn stock on your table saw, folks. That's a kickback recipe you yeah. will hurt yourself please don't run rough stock make sure that it has been jointed and uh uh on at least two faces you've got one face on the table one face on the against the fence right in order to do that then you would flip it in for end actually you got to have two faces jointed two edges jointed right because you're going to flip it in for end and run the curve on the other side do not do this with rough sawn stock that is bad so that being said, I'm going to assume that's not what he meant, but it's a little public safety announcement here. I have done this before with um, much uh, lower horsepower tools than what he mentions. I had a, what, a one and three quarter horse Delta saw and a three quarter horse Grizzly 14 inch bandsaw. And it works. It works really well. Um, the thing, however, that I discovered was it ended up just being an extra step. Um, you know, if you're talking about uh, – a really, really wide board, which on a Grizzly 14-inch bandsaw, even with a riser block, you're not resawing really, really wide boards here. I think the most I could handle was a 10-inch board, maybe 12 inches. I don't remember, but I know my motor couldn't handle the capacity that it had. He's got a bigger motor than mine, so there's a possibility. But what is um, – it's been a while since I've used a table saw, guys. What is the max depth you can get out of like a typical table saw blade? Oh, what, three, three and a half? Three inches? That's what I was going to say. So we'll assume three inches, you know. So if you're sawing a 12-inch board, say 10-inch board, um, you're pulling six inches out of that. So you've got four inches in the middle that the bandsaw blade's going to cut through. It'll certainly go a lot faster, but resawing blade drift was never an issue for me when it came to resawing. Blade drift just says that the, the blade will cut straight when the board is at a slight angle. The problem that most people have with a resaw um, is that belly effect because they're using the wrong blade or the blade's not sharp enough and the blade can't transport enough of the sawdust out of the kerf. So it deviates on its own. It makes more room for the sawdust and you get that barrel cut in the middle or you're pushing it too fast. Basically, you're, you're taxing the saw blade. Um, most of the resawing I did at a bandsaw, I did freehand. So – you know, the fence was completely out of the way. I marked a line on the edge and, you know, you just move along kind of like you were cutting out a curve. You know, you, you can anticipate that, that curvature and you 
move the, the, the board to match that curve. Well, in this case, you're following a straight line. And in, like he says, he's going to go back later and clean things up with a surface planer. So it's not like it's got to be dead straight. But you can get pretty dang close to straight um, with one of these. Um, so the only there's really no need to worry about blade drift there. Blade drift for me was adjusted by angling my fence in order to match whatever that angle of drift is. And if you do that, then it's a matter of just running that board up against the fence. Um, so blade drift was not necessarily an issue in this particular instance. So I found that that shortcut of using the table saw just ended up being kind of a superfluous step. Mm-hmm. Uh, it never really did much for me. It added, it, first of all, it meant that I had to surface my board. Whereas before with the bandsaw, if I just did it on the bandsaw, I would joint one edge and go to town, you know, and I'd cut my boards apart. So um, I'd be curious what you guys think on this since obviously it's been a while since I've used uh, power tools like this. But I've done this method before and I just found going right to the bandsaw was more efficient. Yeah, I would totally agree. I, I don't like the idea of putting your table saw through that and the extra yeah, wear and tear. That's a lot of blade buried in there. Right? It's a little scary. Yeah. yeah, it gets a little scary. When you're resawing, you tend to unleash that interior pressure on these boards. And sometimes you don't really know what you're going to get uh, until you're in the middle of the cut. So I'd be worried about stability, all the wear and tear on that blade. Um, and it just seems like, you know, if you've got a decent bandsaw that can make the cut, you don't necessarily need to even adjust for the drift. I don't know if you guys have ever tried this, but it's not that hard to follow a line at the bandsaw, especially right. if, if he's totally. willing to sacrifice the blade kerf, well then use the bandsaw blade and just the waviness of your natural, you know, your hand following a line, that minimal waviness, you'll still be to the good. After you go well, with the bandsaw also, freehand. You see those single point fence ideas for resawing a yeah. lot. Uh-huh. And I've done that before and that's really effective. Yeah, that you works know, if, really well. If, if you're fact, worried that's, about That's my preferred method for resawing now is I used quick. to do it right up against the fence. But yeah, single point because I still have that where I, what you described, Mark, just mm-hmm. like just following the line. But there's that internal dialogue that I have going like you're screwing it up. You're screwing it up <laughs> where the single point I can rest it up right against it and you can swing that board all over the place but it's going to maybe mean that contact right in that one spot. Yeah. Um, one interesting thing about his email, I don't know if I'm not that familiar with their uh, Grizzlies product line, but I had no idea there even was a 14 inch three horsepower bandsaw. Yeah, I didn't either. That, that, it was the first thing that popped in my head, yeah. but I just chalked that up to being like the hand tool guy now. <laughs> yeah, well, I Googled it. I know they had a one and a half and they had the three quarter, which I had 14 inch, three quarter, 14 inch, one and a half. It's possible they have one of their like, you know, extreme series. Yeah, well, go- you know. Googling it, the only ones I find are the extreme series, but it's a 19 inch bandsaw. Um, hmm. So I don't know. Maybe he put a better motor on it or something, but three horsepower for a 14 inch saw is pretty impressive. Well, and, and you know, Besides the point, I know that there's all different schools of thought on here. You know, Michael Fortune's real big on you don't need a lot of tension, don't need an overpowered saw, whatever. Yeah. I was able to resaw 10-inch wide boards on my Grizzly three-quarter horse. It was slow. There's no question it was slow. But I got great results as yeah, far mm-hmm. as the you know uh, even boards when you bisect it in half or whatever the thickness you were looking for. But it was all done entirely freehand. Just yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't think you need that extra stuff. The the drift you're seeing is not because uh, you don't have a kerf to guide it. Right. Yeah. And, and bottom line, line is, that's a different issue. Right. Bottom line is that's what the bandsaw was designed to do. I think it you're adding, adding steps and just kind of going, like you said, superfluous steps to it. Um, I think you're better off just let the bandsaw do what it was designed to do. Yeah. Just wear the same pair of shorts because you're probably going to have to change them on the table saw. 
Yep. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, you might. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to support the show, help us out, you certainly can. Go to woodtalkshow.com and look at the donation links on the right-hand column. Click one of them. Maybe not. Maybe just look around, listen to a show, ask us why there's no video. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, it will be do. like because there's not enough donations. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hang that in front of them, even though That's we'll right. never do it. Uh, you could also leave us an iTunes review. Uh, head to the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a sweet five star rating, just like Big Gilly style did. Uh, let's see, what did he say? All well, he or she. All extremely knowledgeable and each have their own areas of expertise and separate perspectives. The combination of the three of them is both incredibly educational and usually quite funny. I like the usually because usually. Cle- clearly sometimes we are not funny. Once in a great while, especially like on a Monday when it starts in a month that begins with A. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I take that to heart. Uh, they keep things pretty lighthearted. <laughs> And even when they are providing indispensable advice, this is a great podcast. Well, thank you so much, Big Gilly Style. I'd like Big Gilly Style. That sounds. I was like really a, hoping he was just going to say Opa Gilly Style. Yeah, it sounds like a song, Big Gilly Style. <laughs> great. All right, Matt, how about you get your Big Gilly Style on and give us that contact info? All right, I will just do that right now. In fact, I was going to break into a song, but then I suddenly realized I have not received enough money to do so anymore, so that's not happening. <laughs> Donations, that, folks. folks. Come on. Yeah, that's right. You want songs? I need money. Just kidding. Anyways, though, comments, questions, topics, suggestions, several different ways to contact us. Oh, my gosh. My family just brought home food. Now I can't stop thinking about the food. Really going to throw me off. I got to get through this. Leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes where you also will not find video for any of these episodes, <laughs> you're going to find that over at woodtalkshow.com. But you know someplace you can find video? You know? That's Basement places. Workshop. Matt's Basement Workshop is one of them. The uh, Woodwhisperer.com yeah. and RenaissanceWoodworker.com. Oh, I've been to Every all three. Once a yeah. month or so. <laughs> That's all you need. Well, yeah, you just need one on there. That's all you really need. Yeah. All right. Well, sounds good. Uh, have a great woodworking week, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Opa Gilly style.